Tonight, thousands of protesters amass in cities across the U.S. And now the incident that's sparking protests on this side of the border. Plus, ready to leave the conditions conspiring to cause serious flooding in the interior. And three, two, one, zero. Ignition. A triumph of technology. How the launch of the first manned reusable spacecraft has implications for Canada. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the raging fury throughout the U.S., sparked by the death of an unarmed black man in Minneapolis at the hands of police this week. There has been no let up in the uprisings, which are now happening at, in at least 30 states. Curfews have been imposed in many of them, including a 5 p.m. curfew in Washington state. And now, as Paul Johnson reports, the death of a black woman in Ontario has also triggered an anti-racism protest in Toronto. Demonstrators marched next to the burnt-out ruins of buildings in Minneapolis Saturday, the aftermath of another night of rioting, looting, and rage in the U.S. We're dying, my God, we're dying! In Washington, D.C., protesters jostled with police and secret service in front of the White House, triggering a lockdown of the president's home. A police station in Portland, Oregon, was set on fire. And CNN's headquarters in Atlanta saw its windows smashed. These are only a few snapshots. Across the country, the flashpoints are simply too many to count. Last night is a mockery of pretending this is about George Floyd's death. At the epicenter, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz has called in the state's National Guard to backstop the police. It's the biggest call-up of military force in the state's history. Though so far, he's declined the offer of an even bigger force from Washington. We have our military ready, willing and able, if they ever want to call our military. But we can have troops on the ground very quickly if they ever want our military. What effect the polarizing figure of Donald Trump is having is still unclear. But so far, no official move, national or local, has been able to dampen the anger in any significant way including the third-degree murder charge laid against the police officer who kneeled on George Floyd's neck before he died. And Saturday also saw a demonstration about similar issues in Canada, where thousands took to the streets of Toronto to protest anti-black racism around the world. This after Ontario's Special Investigations Unit began a probe into the death of Regis Karczynski Packet, who fell from her 24th floor balcony while police were in her apartment Wednesday. That was much more subdued than the unfolding chaos in the U.S., where many Americans began their day either gearing up to hit the streets or cleaning up the damage from the previous day. If it's not broken or burnt down, it's tagged with graffiti. Paul Johnson, Global News. Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco joins us live from Lafayette Park, one block from the White House. Jackson, what's the situation in D.C. tonight? Hi, Colleen. It's growing increasingly tense at this hour. Where I am here, uh, you can see the, the large group that has grown quite large uh, in the past few minutes. Uh, there was a park where there was a line of police, and then on the other side of that park 
is the White House, which of course the Secret Service is protecting tonight. Uh, it has been a constant back and forth throughout the evening, and what you'll see are tensions flare up. Just a few minutes ago, uh, some people fired fireworks towards police. Police at times have responded by firing small volleys of pepper spray back toward the protesters. But we should point out the vast majority of protesters are peaceful, have been peaceful, and are simply here to make their voices heard. Uh, the question is what happens with the agitators? Where does this evening go? And I think that's the question facing many cities across America tonight. Well, we are hearing reports that some of the instigators of the violence are white supremacists, anarchists, or even far-left groups. Are you, but you're not seeing any, any of that happening where you are. You know, it's, it's hard to know in a situation like this. And I think you saw the sort of aftermath information come out of Minneapolis that suggested that uh, up to 80% of the people arrested there had come in from outside of the state, suggesting that, yes, there are people working to agitate and inflame the situation, uh, despite the fact that the majority of the protesters are peaceful. So that is the, the big unknown in all of this. Now, the president is threatening to send in the military. How has his response to this crisis fueled the situation. Remember, in the U.S., uh, the military is not supposed to be used for domestic policing purposes. The president would have to invoke a law that dates back from the 1800s to do so. Instead, it's the state-level National Guards that have been called up and mobilized to do the policing. But you're right, the president's words and his tweets have only served to inflame tensions. Uh, in a series of tweets early this morning, he almost seemed to suggest that uh, he was um, you know, excited by the police response to protect the White House, uh, the great security that he was afforded, that there would be vicious dogs and weapons awaiting protesters. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, he is also suggesting that there be counter-protests from his own supporters here. So, Colleen, he's not doing anything to decrease tensions, that's for sure. Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco in Washington. Jackson, stay safe. We're going to try and check in with you a little bit later in the newscast. Thank you. Now to a police investigation in Tawasson near the Ferry Causeway. Members of Delta Police have been at the scene of the Tatsu Shore Drive all day. Yellow evidence tape is up around a large area. Now, so far, Delta Police and the police watchdog, the Independent Investigations Office, say they're both working to provide more information. When that information comes up, we will make it available to you as well. Police and North Shore Rescue are searching for a missing 15-year-old boy, and they need your help. Sean Hintz may have gone hiking in North Vancouver. He was last seen early this morning near the top of Lonsdale. The teen is 5'9", 120 pounds, and may be wearing a dark green Puma hoodie and Adidas pants. If you see him, please call North Shore RCMP. We're not really sure uh, where he's gone hiking. Uh, we've been scouring the North Shore, uh, but just recently we've got a, a, a tip that's come in indicating Lynn Headwaters. And uh, so now we've got members really focusing in that Lynn Headwaters area. But uh, it's a really big thing uh, for the public right now. There's been a, a press release in the RCMP. We put it out on our social media. So we just want people to keep their eyes open. Squamish Search and Rescue answered their fifth call out in just 36 hours today. Early this afternoon, a mountain biker got hurt while riding on the hot tuna trail above Alice Lake. A helicopter was used to airlift him out of the wilderness and he was then flown to Vancouver General Hospital with serious injuries. Search and rescue crews are urging people to be careful on trails this weekend. Yesterday, a climber had to be freed from the Stromus Chief after getting her knee wedged in the crack of a rock face. 
thousands of residents throughout the interior and the Kootenai regions are nervously watching the weather this weekend. Warm temperatures and a severe storm are threatening to cause widespread flooding. Sarah McDonald has the latest. It's the last thing this province needs in the throes of a global pandemic. But lo and behold, water levels are rising and flood season is here. And we could see more scenes like this in the central and southern interior in a matter of days. Who could forget the destruction? Shut the door and let's get out of here. Dealt to the town of Grand Forks by the historic flooding of 2018. Then considered the worst in more than a century. And now, forecasters say we could see water levels rise to similar heights just two years later. We are seeing rapid snow melt, and now we've got a significant amount of rain in the forecast. For Sunday, 20 and up to 40 millimeters for many areas, upwards of 50 millimeters anywhere east of the Okanagan. Current conditions creating the perfect storm for floods in large swaths of the province. Hundreds of people and thousands of properties under evacuation alert in the Boundary region, which is now under a sweeping local state of emergency. That includes Cache Creek, where some weary residents are already critical of this year's early flood response. I have sent several emails, several letters to John Horgan. I've had absolutely no response in two years. And in the Okanagan, the sandbags are back. It's Namesake Lake, already considered at full pool, with property owners being advised to prepare for potential flooding. We'll just keep watching it through the weekend and see what the impact is. With flood watches and advisories in effect across the region, the province watches and waits on what nobody can control. The weather. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A man is recovering after being attacked by a wolf. It happened shortly after 11 o'clock last night in Port Edward, a coastal community 15 kilometers southeast of Prince Rupert and about 125k west of Terrace. A man told conservation officers he was walking home when he was attacked by a wolf. He remains in hospital, but his injuries are not considered life-threatening. As a search for the wolf continues, Port Edward's residents are being warned to walk in groups and not to let their dogs run loose. A major milestone in BC's fight to flatten the curve for the second day in a row. There are no new deaths from COVID-19. There are 11 new cases for a total of 2,573 in BC. With no new deaths, the number of deaths remains at 164. 35 people are currently in hospital, five of them in the intensive care unit. And much to the disappointment of many this summer, the provincial health officer also formally banned overnight camping in kids' camps. Dr. Bonnie Henry says, like other large gatherings, it would not be safe right now. Such camps often have large numbers of children coming from many different areas, campers and counselors, and they often take place in more remote areas. And physical distancing is very much a challenge in these situations. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, today, Dr. Henry tried to reassure parents and teachers that restarting school on Monday is going to be okay. 
Yeah, she's been doing that as, as many opportunities as she can in all her daily briefings the past week because there are, you can just go on social media, uh, there are teachers concerned about uh, the situation that's going to be in the classroom. The school districts, though, have pretty hefty sanitation plans that I've seen. Surrey, for example, has a 25-page plan. But Dr. Henry says June 1st opening was based on the 14-day incubation period that precedes June 1st because that's how long the virus has uh, as an incubation period. And if you go back and look at the cases on that uh, timeline... Uh, we're averaging about 10 cases a day, 10, 11 cases a day. The hospitalizations are going down. ICU numbers are going down. The number of deaths is, is not uh, tracking as high as it has in the past. All the arrows are pointing the right way. So Dr. Bonnie Henry making the point again today that that incubation period tells her things are looking good and that's why the schools should be open. And if they weren't, if it weren't looking good, she did raise the possibility she wouldn't have opened them, but she thinks uh, the numbers are looking good. So June 1st is a go. Here's Dr. Henry. We purposely timed the reopening of schools to be sure that we had a period of time of, of an incubation period to see if we were going to start seeing increased numbers of cases in our communities once we started our restart program. And if we had had seen an increase, then we would have postponed or delayed uh, the start of schools. So I am comfortable with what we've been watching, that we are in a place that we can do this now. So the next incubation period she's going to be looking at is the next 14 days after June 1st. And if she sees the numbers being fairly uh, modest, as we've been seeing the last two weeks, that means she's going to give the uh, green light, basically, to open up even more in mid-June, start traveling to places, the Kelowna, Vancouver Island over here. That's the next sort of opening moment that she's looking for, that next two-week uh, incubation period. We need, to, we need to keep the numbers down. All right. Thanks so yep. much, Keith. To a political storm caused by a controversial tweet by the slate that blocks the mayor of Sur backs rather the mayor of Surrey, the post accused uh, a group of Prince George RCMP officers of the quote murder of a man in custody before it was deleted minutes later. Aaron MacArthur has more, including what the mayor has to say about it. The arrest and death of Dale Culver in Prince George three years ago has now spawned political unrest in Surrey. The political party headed by Mayor Doug McCallum tweeted about the IIO report just hours after the civilian watchdog recommended charge approval for five RCMP members involved in the incident. The tweet linking to a global news item reads, poorly trained RCMP murder a defenseless man and then delete video evidence to cover up their crime. Unacceptable, according to members of Surrey City Council. The post was disgraceful. I mean, there is just no other way to describe it. The tweet was quickly pulled down and replaced with factual copy after local news outlets started asking questions. It has many people on Surrey City Council questioning to what lengths the mayor's party will go to ensure Surrey cuts ties with the RCMP. At the end of the day, the residents of Surrey deserve the best policing service they can get. And the way this is shaping out so far, uh, you know, it's been nothing but riddled with conflict, uh, with secrecy, uh, lack of transparency. The inflammatory tweet was seen by enough members of the Surrey RCMP that the officer in charge, Brian Edwards, drafted an internal memo to staff. Global News obtaining a copy of the email, which expresses deep concern over the contents of the post, saying it erodes confidence in policing. Edwards writes, This morning, I spoke with Mayor McCallum, who leads the Safe Surrey Coalition, to express my significant concerns about this social media post. He advised me he was unaware of it 
and we'll look into the matter. To me, the mayor is in charge of the Safe Surrey Coalition. He's in charge. The buck stops with him. If he didn't know that it was there, he should have. Mayor McCallum did respond to Global News late Saturday afternoon. He says the tweet was sent out by a staffer with no authority to do so. An error that won't happen again as he has tightened communications protocol. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Saanich police are confirming what we first reported in April, a huge spike in excessive speeding during the pandemic. Between January and May of this year, Saanich patrol officers have recorded 90 excessive speeding offenses. That's more than the total number recorded in each of the last five years. Saanich police saw a 700% spike in excessive speeding during the first 30 days of the lockdown when officers impounded a total of 16 vehicles. The traffic unit is urging drivers to slow down. Vancouver police caught a driver with a learner's license who was in the company of a supervisor and allegedly doing 100 kilometers an hour on the Camby Street Bridge last night. The speed limit is 50, by the way. The young driver, who was also missing their L. Decal, had their Mercedes impounded and is facing a nearly $500 fine. ICBC will also be reviewing that driver's license. It's been three weeks since an entrenched encampment was finally cleared from Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park. Downtown Eastside residents will likely be waiting several more weeks to get their green space back. As Kristen Robinson explains, many feel reopening the park must be balanced with preventing it from becoming another tent city. I remember playing on the playground down here. Gladys Lee has lived near Oppenheimer Park her entire life. Our spiritual garden is just down here. I think that's going to be all redone. And she can't wait to get it back. But we don't want to lose it no more. No more of this. I really want City Hall to think about that. Three weeks after the encampment was finally cleared out and more than 260 people moved into temporary housing, Oppenheimer is still fenced in. There's needles, there's glass. After more than a year and a half as a tent city entrenched in drugs and crime, remediating this public park is no easy fix. I expect it's going to take a, a couple of months at least to get the park back uh, and open again. Post-decampment, the province tossed the site back to the city and park board. Discussions are now underway between all three parties and the community about what Oppenheimer 2.0 will look like. There was no respect between the tenters and our community. This is ours and this is what we're going to do with it. And that's wrong. And when it's wrong, it's got to be fixed. This has happened four times in the past, and we really aren't looking for a fifth tent city. B.C.'s social development minister says the key is to act immediately if tents go up again and keep locals engaged in owning their public space. This is our foundation. This is where we build our community from, this place. I need the city council to get a backbone so when someone puts up a tent, no, no putting up a tent, no. After being sidelined for months... Lee can't wait to roll back into her routine of volunteering in the park she loves once it's safe for these fences to come down. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A dog rescue society is hosting a two-day pandemic pet food drive this weekend. The Fur Baby Food Bank in New West is handing out $5,000 worth of dog and cat food to families affected by COVID-19. 
Thank Dog I'm Out and West Group Properties are teaming up to help pets in need get through this pandemic. Food Banks Canada says demand has jumped significantly in recent weeks and volunteers want to help our furry friends too. There's no shame in being one of the people in the whole world who is feeling the pinch after three months of isolation, perhaps no job or you know limited amount of income. If we can provide you with one month's worth of food, then we're very happy to do so. The Fur Baby Food Bank continues tomorrow from 10 a.m. until 2 in the afternoon at the Westminster Ground Floor Amity Lounge on Nelson Crescent in New West. A local brewing company has come up with a creative way to help their employees during the pandemic. Main Street Brewing has created a new beer called the Helping Hand Lager as part of a fundraiser to help their team. Money raised will go to gift cards to Fresh Street Market and the IGA to give to staff affected by COVID-19 so they can buy groceries. We've got about 125 people that work for us between the brewery and four restaurants. Uh, and we had to lay off uh, about 120 of them. So the idea came out to do something nice. So if you have the opportunity to buy uh, a four pack of Main Street Lager, it's available right at the brewery on uh, 7th and Main. Come down, I'm sure it's gonna go fast and it's a great opportunity to give back in a fun way. An update now on a story we brought you at the top of our newscast. The missing boy in the North Shore has been found safe and sound by his family in an area above the Powerline Trail. He was reported missing after he went for a hike this morning. Some good news there. Well, many of us have had to change our routines during the pandemic. For some ducks being raised at Thompson Rivers University, that means a whole new home. The Animal Health Technology Program raises the ducks on campus, but when the classes switched to online only, those ducks were left without a caretaker. A faculty member jumped in to help, taking the incubator and four ducklings home. She's been mothering them during the quarantine and loves their temper. They love their temporary habitat and have grown up pretty fast. Just another way many are going above and beyond during this very challenging time. Some breaking news, a fiery scene in Seattle tonight. Vehicles are burning and the National Guard has been activated to help contain the protests. All lanes of the I-5 remain closed due to protesters walking on the freeway. The city's mayor has imposed a 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew for today and tomorrow in order to disperse crowds. Our Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco is live from Lafayette Park, which is one block from the White House. Jackson, I understand there's tear gas being detonated where you are? Yeah, Colleen, just a few minutes ago, tear gas was deployed on the crowd. We actually moved back because the crowd started to stampede towards us, and that's happened a few times this evening. Uh, there's an increasingly tense standoff right at the fence line there, and on the other side are heavily armed parks police and Secret Service. And then, of course, the White House is on the other side of this park. Uh, so really what they're trying to do is uh, keep the situation from escalating. Earlier this evening, protesters had actually breached the outer barriers here at the park and were pushed back. And we're seeing this constant back and forth, this volley with fireworks and water bottles and rocks thrown at police and then police responding either with uh, tear gas at certain points or pepper spray as well. Now, Jackson, uh, the curfews don't seem to be having much of an impact. We just saw footage from Seattle where there, it, there's mayhem going on uh, to the point that Minnesota's governor admits that the police can't get a hold of this situation. National Guard has been brought in. What's it going to take? 
You know, that's a very good question. Now, not every city has imposed a curfew. Washington has not at this okay. point. Uh, but getting this under control is a very difficult task because tensions are so high. There is a concern that some are purposely seeking to inflame tensions who are not the core group of protesters who have largely been peaceful. That's a real concern in all of this as well. And law enforcement is trying to strike a balance in all of that, uh, not targeting the people who are being peaceful and having their voices heard, uh, but not letting the agitators, the small number of agitators, let things get out of hand. Jackson, have you had a chance to talk to anybody there? I know it's it's even more complicated because there's a pandemic on and people are wearing face masks. Yeah, uh, you know, people are very willing to speak and they're very angry. I mean, they're very angry at this, this systemic history of the way uh, African-Americans have been treated in this country specifically by law enforcement. This is a conversation that keeps coming up time and time again. And the frustration has reached a boiling point because there has never been any resolution or attempt at resolution. And quite frankly, calling people are fed up with that fact. Jackson, stay safe where you are. Um, thank you so much for this. We'll ex be seeing more from you in the days to come, I'm sure. Jackson Prosco in Washington tonight. In Health Matters tonight, the Alberta government is giving away tens of millions of non-medical masks to Albertans through three fast food chains. The masks will pro be provided in packages of four. 17 million of the 20 million masks will be distributed via the drive through option at A&W's, McDonald's and Tim Hortons across the province. Distribution will begin early next month. Alberta Health Minister Tyler Shandro says that these masks will only be available through the drive-thru and not in-store, and that customers must be in a vehicle to get them. And Yvonne, we got some rain here on the south coast, but flooding concerns are in the interior. Yes, a huge concern. We've had warm temperatures over the past week. We've got a rapid snow melt, and now we're tracking a significant amount of rain that is going to move in across both the central and southern interior. So I'll outline the regions that would have a watch that in effect, as well as the high stream flow advisory. It has been wet across the south coast today, a gray start, and we are looking at the conditions to intensify this evening. We are seeing a wave of moisture right now across Metro Vancouver, pushing its way towards the east. But just look to the south of us. This is the frontal system and weather maker that is pushing in. We are looking at the risk of thunderstorms this evening, especially for the interior. Metro Vancouver, we could see it, but it really is going to start to intensify and continue overnight in a few spots in the interior. We'll be tracking it for the early morning hours. There's the push of moisture that we are seeing. Tomorrow morning, a few isolated showers for Metro Vancouver to leave off. Actually, some breaks, some sunshine in the mix, but the rain will remain very heavy for the day tomorrow and pushing in towards the southeastern corners. Now, here's a few spots that we have the concern. All areas that are indicated in yellow. Severe thunderstorm watch, so the potentials there for the thunderstorms be to become severe. We've got lightning that we're tracking this evening. Strong winds, a range between 80 and potentially up to 100 kilometers per hour. The rainfall, 10 and up to 20 millimeters per hour. And most areas will see anywhere between 20 and up to 40 millimeters for tomorrow. And then just east of the Okanagan, up to 50 millimeters. We're also looking at the potential between 1 to 2 centimeters of hail in size and then for tomorrow the big weather story that we're following with the risk of funny will be that rainfall so we are looking at a very active evening and then continuing for the day on Sunday the flood watch that is in effect for the following spots that are in orange the Bonaparte River Salmon River Okanagan as well as the boundary region 
all areas in yellow is where we have a high stream flow advisory. Continue to check in with the BC River Forecast Centre as we're tracking this and we're really going to start to see the peak of it tomorrow and then continuing through Thursday. Those are the key days that we are looking at and the rainfall totals once again will really start to pick up east of the Okanagan. Many spots 20 and up to 40 millimetres so a significant amount of rain. We've seen warm temperatures and now we've got that rain moving in especially overnight and for the day on Sunday. Now the northern half of the province just a few isolated showers it'll ease off even some breaks for areas near Smithers. The northeastern corners for the peace up to 17 degrees and much of the central interior it's isolated showers. The heaviest rainfall will be overnight and for the morning hours for the southern interior it'll ease off late in the day but the winds are really going to start to ramp up. Gusts anywhere between 40 and up to 50 kilometers so a blustery day for tomorrow and a few spots in the southeastern corners will be looking at the risk of thunderstorms. Along the south coast a wet start to the morning it'll be isolated showers for most areas not heavy in terms of precipitation. We'll start to see some breaks for the afternoon. A nice clearing is on the way and then a drying trend. It will be much needed. Temperatures will be a touch cooler as we look ahead towards next week. Colleen? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. It is certainly the most triumphant story of the day. The first manned launch of a spacecraft that will return to Earth. Bad weather canceled the planned launch earlier this week and threatened to do so again today. But in the end, it was all systems go. One rocket launched the U.S. into a brave new era of space exploration. T plus 30 seconds into this historic mission. For the first time, a private company, SpaceX, did the heavy lifting, taking two American astronauts into orbit. Veteran astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken taking part in the mission. It's safe to say space travel has never looked like this before. From the designer suits to the ship itself, full of sleek screen controls, the founder of Tesla behind this venture. What today is about is, is reigniting the dream of space and getting, getting people fired up about the future. The journey of the Crew Dragon is intended to restore America's ability to launch its own astronauts into space since NASA retired its shuttles in 2011. This is definitely one of the vehicles I might fly on, which is pretty exciting for me to get to see it fly. Canadian astronaut Jeremy Hansen is waiting on his own future flight assignment and has watched NASA's experiment in private space travel closely. Does that open up the doors for more and more frequent space exploration? Oh, most definitely. I mean, there's no, no other way to look at it. Um, in fact, you know, we, in, we see it as increasing our ability to do, um, accomplish our goals from a government, as a government body in space. He believes it opens the door for more frequent space exploration. That includes a return to the moon and beyond. The Crew Dragon is one of several commercial spacecraft under development in partnership with NASA. All of this ultimately is for a purpose, and that is to get to Mars. Everything continuing to look good. The astronauts are headed to the International Space Station, where they'll spend a few months in orbit before completing their mission. And they'll return to Earth the same way they left it on board that privately owned spaceship. Robin Gill, Global News. And when it was taking off, we saw a video of the, the astronauts in there. Like, it's just, it's so modern now. It's just so different than it was years ago with the Apollo missions. And yes, I, I do remember them. Barry, you were just saying, would you have the courage to, to go for a ride? No chance, no chance. Hey, an elevator is a big step. Never mind uh, <laughs> no going kidding. up in space. Tough. Uh, you know, can you imagine how fat, just the... No. Uh, the enormity of, of what they're doing. So it's phenomenal. They're better than me, that's for sure. 
but not better than your sports guests. No, not at all. I challenge them uh, about that. Uh, another great day for Alfonso Davies, the former white cap in the Bundesliga, another goal, and he's just, uh, with every game, just keeps getting better and better. And, of course, the, the big story in North America with all the racial tensions uh, going on there, boiling over in all sorts of cities, kind of triggering some stories from a lot of black men in North America about uh, their experiences uh, with racial profiling. And G. Roy Simon of the Lions shares uh, a story you don't want to miss with us a little bit later on. Oh, looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Barry. Movie theaters have yet to reopen here in B.C., but when they do, they might look a little different. If theater adaptations in some U.S. states are any indication, you won't have to worry about someone talking beside you or kicking your seat. The Art Theater in Long Beach, California is undergoing a different kind of Hollywood facelift. When the project's done, they'll have taken out at least 50 seats to help with social distancing. We want them to feel like they have the space to feel comfortable and, and, and spread out a little bit. In addition to removing seats, they also plan to block off some of the seats that remain, realizing at first they won't be allowed to function at full capacity. When you reopen, you're going to be entering a whole new world, aren't you? Yeah. We are. We don't know what we're going to get. We're catching a glimpse of that new world across the globe and here in the U.S. as movie houses start to welcome back customers. I'm so bored. (laughs) I'm just excited to get out. Right now, at least 19 states allow theaters to operate with restrictions. The three largest chains remain closed, but luxury chain IPIC, known for its spacious seating pods and dine-in service, is now revealing plans to reopen with thermal scanners to check temperatures and electrostatic sprayers to disinfect theaters. Do you expect guests to come back right away, or do you think it's going to take some time for them to feel comfortable? It's not going to be like opening a floodgate. We, we, we believe it's going to be a gradual process. Next month, IPIC plans to open three theaters in Texas where capacity is 25%, showing classic movies at first until studios release new films. Blockbusters is a lifeblood of, of, of the movie industry. A few blockbusters are slated to come out in July. Unhinged, starring Russell Crowe. Christopher Nolan's sci-fi flick, Tenet. A girl threatens all plans. And the live-action remake of Mulan. Just don't expect big opening weekend sales. It's going to be about how these movies play for the long haul because we're going to be in a different world at that time. A preview of what's coming to a theater near you. Joe Fryer, NBC News, Los Angeles. Barry joins us now with sports, and you're going to straighten us out a little bit on a Canucks issue, right? Well, I think, yeah, just to just to make things clear concerning uh, these playoffs that are coming up. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Colleen. The Canucks will be one of the 24 NHL teams returning to play, hopefully in early August. They'll meet Minnesota in a best-of-five play-in series. Technically, the Canucks have not made the playoffs yet. They need to beat the Wild to get into the Final 16 to make that official. And connected to all of that is that first conditional draft pick they gave up in the JT Miller trade with Tampa last summer. If the Canucks miss the playoffs, they'll hang on to that pick in 2020 because they would be in the lottery and would want to pick for themselves. If they get in, the Devils would get that pick which they acquired from Tampa at the trade deadline. Of course, the Canucks would really want to make the playoffs then because they wouldn't want to give up a lotto pick to the Devils. I hope that makes sense. It does take a long time to explain. Uh, Well, another game and another virtuoso performance for Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich. The 19-year-old is getting all sorts of praise for his incredible speed, talent, 
and work ethic, making him one of the most exciting young soccer players on the planet. And he just keeps on getting better every week. Today, he scored another goal, made some fine defensive plays as Bayern Munich crushed Fortuna Dusseldorf 5-0. One of the many Bayern Munich stars, Thomas Muller. Davies is wowing everybody with his incredible speed. Chases down the uh, ball for Bayern, and it's in the Dusseldorf net in just moments after that. It's an own goal off the leg of the defender, but it was all hustle by Davies coming back that made it possible, and it's 1-0 for Bayern Munich. There you see the deflection off the defender. Then Davies showing off his uh, Canadian hockey skills. By that I mean a kick save and a beauty to block the Dusseldorf chance. Great play by Davies, doing it all over the pitch. And then late in the half, Byron showing off their incredible quality. Beautiful through ball here. Joshua Kimmich, back heel. Thomas Muller, quick back pass. And Robert Lewandowski fires it in. Beautiful stuff from the top club in Germany. 3-0 at half. Lewandowski then with an encore early in the second half. Uses the back foot to knock that one in. What a play as uh, Ashley even goes through the keeper's legs. Definitely style points there, 4-0. And then Alfonso Davies finishes off the route, just won't be denied as he powers his way through and slots in his fourth goal of the season, third in league play. He is bursting into stardom right now, right in front of our eyes as Byron win 5-0. They're now 10 points clear atop the standings as they surely will clinch a record straight, eighth straight Bundesliga title. Well, emotions are running high all over North America after the death of George Floyd at the hands of a white Minneapolis police officer on Monday. Racial tensions are bubbling over, and it's triggered a lot of emotions and memories for people who've experienced racism in their lives. That includes CFL Hall of Famer and BC Lions great G. Roy Simon, who's all too familiar with what black men living in America are forced to deal with on a daily basis. It, it, you know, this this situation takes me back a number of years uh, when I was at the University of Maryland. I was meeting with an agent, actually getting ready for the NFL draft and, um, you know, came out of my apartment, you know, walking the guy out um, and, you know, having a conversation and, you know, walked out to a police officer pointing a gun at me um, and telling me to get down on the ground. I'm like, what am I, you know, why are you pointing a gun at me? What I didn't do anything. And, you know. If things had gone differently, obviously, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys today. But, you know, it's it's just it's just one of those things where, you know, a lot of black men in the U.S. have have encountered overzealous police officers. And, um, you know, it's it's time for it's time for it to stop. I mean, obviously, every police officer isn't isn't um, isn't bad and, and, and isn't, you know, doing doing things incorrectly. But, um, you know, it's, it's just time for, you know, for things to change. You know, the, I'd be naive to think that there's that there isn't racist here and uh, and racism here in Canada, but um, it's not as uh, in your face. Um, it's not. Um, it's it's just it's not as prevalent as it is in the in the U.S. Um, you know, growing up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, I love I love my hometown, but at the same time, I grew up right down the street from the the uh, Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, I went to school with his kids. You know, living in Canada makes, you know, I do feel a lot safer here. I do feel a lot, a lot more confident. Um, and I'm not as fearful when, especially when, like I said, when, it, when, when I'm, when, if, when and if I'm pulled over by police and I feel, you know, I feel comfortable, um, you know, even, even talking to police here in Canada.
Mm, it's interesting to hear, uh, especially people you know that have gone through situations like that. And again, this uh, situation in uh, Minneapolis and across America really triggering a lot of uh, these thoughts from uh, a lot of black men right now. It's really, really sad that this is It is. is. Yeah, hopefully peace and uh, cooler heads prevail over there. Okay, time for our nightly thank you to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring a family of frontline workers. This family grew up in Castlegar and are all contributing to the healthcare of our province. Dr. Michael Van Vliet is an emergency room physician at Kootenay Boundary Regional Hospital in Trail. Dr. Megan Van Vliet is a radiologist at Penticton Regional Hospital. And Chelsea Van Vliet is a nurse practitioner wow. at Winnetta Primary Care Clinic in trail they're all siblings wow. and to add to this mother donna is a retired nursing instructor and their father john is a retired general practitioner so this family has been working long hours during the covid 19 pandemic so thank you to the entire van Vliet family we we thank you tonight if you have a healthcare hero to nominate email us a few pictures to bc healthcare heroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero that's amazing. It's fantastic. Great I keep, story. I keep imagining what their you know, <laughs> Christmas dinner must sound like when they're all 